Welcome to this bonus episode of New Mexico in Focus, the podcast. It's Monday, November 7th, 2022. I'm your host, Lou DeVizio. Election season is almost over, and that means we're wrapping up our series of candidate conversations, one-on-one interviews with candidates for governor, Congress, and Navajo Nation president. We've been working for weeks to bring you interviews with every major candidate, but in the governor's race, after reaching out multiple times to Libertarian Karen Badoni, Republican Mark Ronchetti, and Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham, only the governor accepted our request. The governor was recently in Las Cruces, where she spoke with Anthony Moreno, director of content at our sister station, KRWG Public Media. Here's Anthony. One big issue is public safety in New Mexico. There's a lot of concern in not only this race, but other races across New Mexico about public safety in our state. If reelected, what steps will you take to improve public safety? Well, we're going to make sure that we continue on the path that we've been on, and I want to make sure that folks are, you know, really aware of what those steps have been and why they're critical. And of course, crime is now a national issue that's requiring, and it does deserve that attention, to really focus on what's gone wrong. So here's what went wrong, number one. You have to invest in public safety. If you're not going to invest in officers and their training and their equipment, then you put yourself in a position that that for any hardship, any issue, anything that changes, you don't have enough folks in growing communities, right, to keep us safe. Two, we have a number of firearms that are flooding our communities, our neighborhoods. We know that is a risk. We need states to really keep up with that. And so just in those two issues alone, in addition to making sure that dangerous repeat offenders need to stay uh, in jail and in prison longer. Uh, we've done work on all three. Now you've been vocal about revisiting bail reform mm-hmm. in the state. Yeah. Uh, other lawmakers, prosecutors have voiced the need for it. Uh, what's your plan for this and how do you think it could be used where it's not discriminating against folks who may be living in poverty? Well, you're the first uh, uh, person interviewing me who's gotten to the other side of that issue. And I have to say, I really appreciate that because there are two sides to this. Uh, This is a state, along with many other states, that quite frankly was discriminating against individuals who were too poor to bail out. And remember, these can be uh, innocent individuals, right? That's how our Constitution is based. There's a presumption of innocence. They're raising their families. Maybe it's the uh, uh, head of the household, single parents. So there's some issues. Uh, We wanted to make sure, and it usually falls on the folks who get held or minority men and women, and it's not applied uh, as equally it appears, and that's a constitutional problem. That's why New Mexico changed that in our Constitution, that the presumption is you shouldn't be held. Right, that's how it shifted. There's a presumption that no one arrested until trial should be arrested. Then judges have the discretion using prosecutorial information, prior issues, right, prior arrests, convictions, to assess risk. In my view, given so many issues, assessments are only as effective as the conditions that they were built to try to apply to. Each case is unique and different, and I want to go to the federal system, which just reverses the presumption, which is, if you're dangerous, so you use, right, a firearm, it's a homicide, uh, you're a repeat violent offender, aggravated battery, as an example, these are individuals where the presumption is you are too dangerous in the community, 
pending a trial and it's rebuttable so if a public defender says that's not true you know it's not this is the person's innocent this is what occurred not a risk then you can always have that individual not stay in jail pending trial that's the federal system and I've seen no evidence that that system doesn't provide clarity right the kind of sub substantive uh, uh, outcomes that keep communities safer and that we know what those standards are. In a 60-day session with a year in between and with additional information about what we're doing in public safety, I think it stands a better shot, but I want to tell you it's a heavy lift for people who worry that it may reverse us back to a place of discrimination. Um, I'm still going to call for it and I'm going to fight like hell to make sure that we get it over the finish line. The pandemic impacted us in so many ways. Uh, there's been a lot of data out about just how our young ones were impacted. A lot of children across the country in New Mexico lost parents, loved ones, guardians. How do we address mental health for are most vulnerable. When I was the Secretary of Health in 2004, uh, we uh, had a couple of school-based health centers, and by the time I uh, uh, was doing something else three years later, there were 68, and they were incredibly robust. Uh, shortly thereafter, all the behavioral health came out of those school-based health centers, and we went back to about 25. So we've been building those up, and I'm feeling uh, even more confident about the ability to do comprehensive, right, behavioral health services inside schools. It also means you need social workers and counselors. So we've seen an increase in the number of social workers. We hired 80 at Children, Youth, and Families Department recently. We're now partnering with uh, universities like this one, and specifically Highlands, who specialize in social work training, so it's a new recruitment program and training program specific to school-age populations and to CYFD, and it's working. I want to move on to another yeah. issue, of course, climate change impacting us all. Uh, if re-elected, what is your next step to take on climate change well, in our I, state? I want you to make sure I get a chance to talk about what we have yeah, done, I, because I, we, are a, we are an international leader on addressing the climate crisis and being really clear about protecting our air, land, uh, and water. And so New Mexico has very robust methane rules, which basically means uh, we're not going to pollute the air. That's a, a, a that is one of the worst, right? Greenhouse gases, and when that comes right off oil and gas, we don't let you flare anymore, and we don't let you emit methane and now ozone. So the federal government has taken New Mexico's rules, which were adopted in a bipartisan and coordinated strategic effort with oil and gas so that we know that they're working. It's also brought jobs and more money to the state of New Mexico. So those are two huge areas, but we also have a climate change task force that's uh, been highlighted around the country as one of the most robust. So we're capping right, we're doing abandoned wells, we're doing healthy soil. This university is leading in the country and making sure that soil, which does carbon capture all by itself, is being engaged in a more productive and specific way and we're also doing conservation so that we're really clear about what that looks like for generations of New Mexicans we've been investing in cleaning hundreds of millions of dollars in cleaning water brand new infrastructure dealing with problems in wastewater dealing with some of our septic tank issues all around the state and there's more so that's our record to date 
Where we're going is largely, uh, we asked for GEO bond to consider in the last session uh, a conservation fund, which is also an environmental climate crisis tackling effort. It's all of the above. Uh, instead of a GEO bond question, I think we're likely to ask for a sizable investment in a set-aside fund, like our Early Childhood Fund, which will invest in those efforts, uh, including getting at our forests. I mean, the issue is it's hotter, and drier, so we need better stewardship, and I'm sure you're aware the federal government has said, we think they're liable for one of the worst fires in our history, but they've also said New Mexico stewardship programs, which we've launched, are some of the best in the country, and they're gonna allow us to get back into our forests and make them healthier. Facing those those disasters that we face, yeah. two of the, most, uh, the largest wildfires in our state this year, what are some things that you took away from that experience and how it impacted New Mexico that uh, you think may help us avoid this in the future? What are some things the state can do? Well, a couple of things. Um, I'd love to avoid every natural disaster, and I would love to avoid that it's not just an extreme drought here. This state and the West uh, is undergoing aridification. So let's be earnest, because we've ignored right as a planet and we've ignored as a country that the climate crisis is real i mean even in today's day and age using science and evidence-based strategies so we've decarbonized the utility sector we've set those goals we're investing in renewable energy all of that makes a big difference but we're going to have issue with fires Right, that isn't gonna change overnight. And with that fire, in June of this year, 31 counties were on fire. So what do we do? We make sure that the investments out of the Inflation Reduction Act, right, $350 billion, it's a ton of money that we're gonna invest in the kinds of evidence-based strategies that allow us to maintain a productive, safe footprint until we actually reverse the catastrophic effects of climate change to date. That's what we're gonna do. I want to move on yeah. to education. Uh, a lot of issues in education. There's been some big concerns in recent years about keeping teachers in the classroom. The pandemic, of course, the impact that may have had on it. Uh, I'd like to hear from you. What is your plan uh, to continue with the efforts you've already put in place to keep teachers in the classroom if reelected. Let's talk about New Mexico State just released a pretty incredible study where they identified that we reduced uh, teacher vacancies in this last year by 34%. It's one of the best efforts in the country, so I wanna thank New Mexico State for putting out that independent information. So we do it by making sure that our current educators have loan forgiveness. Current educators, right, have access to affordable housing, some cases, if it's a hard to teach, hard to serve area, free housing. Uh, we're making sure that they're the highest paid educators now in the region. Uh, we'd like to do more. We're also making sure to educate new educators. That's free. So college is now free for educators. We have a program that endowed that now with opportunity scholarships. Un uh, this actual uh, university put out that the highest enrollment they've ever seen, right, is all because of that opportunity scholarships. Pretty incredible. So that is already having an impact, but it might be a place for me when you have a significant problem and you're building to the future, and we are, and we're doing that successfully, uh, which we're incredibly proud of. So smaller class sizes, deal with those vacancies, make sure that you aren't on at war with public education, have respect and dignity. If you want better outcomes, have more time in smaller classrooms with students. There are concerns about working age population leaving the state. 
what are the things that we need to do in this next legislative session if you're reelected what are some things that you're going to focus on to address that issue okay well kids are back in school they're going to college older adults are going to colleges more licenses more businesses more people staying here and moving here than ever before lowest unemployment in 14 years um, I think those numbers and outcomes really speak for themselves I don't think you need a legislative action except this we're gonna keep investing. We've seen enormous job growth right here. I think you have a film school. Students are very excited about that. Uh, we're seeing jobs in rural areas like Chamberino, 300 jobs, uh, cannabis, the innovation in high tech. What, what young people and a workforce challenges, what they really need is to know that they can build careers in themselves. Last thing about a workforce, the whole country is gonna have to figure out a couple of key challenges, long-term care, caregiving, and ag, and we've made incredible investments to build opportunities for young farmers in New Mexico, and I'm beginning to see that it's paying off. Thank you to the governor, our Las Cruces sister station, KRWG Public Media, and Anthony Moreno for sharing that interview with us. You can watch Anthony's entire 27-minute conversation with the governor online on the KRWG YouTube page. Now, for our final candidate conversation of election season, it's Democratic challenger for Congressional District 2, Gabe Vasquez. Over the last two months, we made multiple calls and sent several emails to Representative Yvette Harrell's campaign, but never got a response back to our requests for an interview. For that reason, Gwyneth Dolan's interview with Gabe Vasquez is our only candidate conversation for District 2. Here's Gwyneth. Gabriel Vasquez, thank you so much for being with us today. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Thank you. This year we have seen a record high influx, influx of migrants at the border, many of them fleeing environmental, economic, crime-related problems in Central and South America. You are a first-generation American with roots in Juarez. What do you see as the main issue that we face at the border? Well, look, we're seeing a lot of instability, not just at our border, but all across this world, all across this country, in the Central Triangle, uh, in, North, in um, Central America as well. And it's unfortunate, but uh, people look to the United States as that beacon of hope, that beacon of light, um, the place where they can come and start a better life. Uh, but those aren't the only issues. For us, we've seen an influx of migration on and off over the years for decades. But unfortunately, both parties have not been able to come together to work towards solutions that create the comprehensive immigration reform that is predictable, that is humane, that gives people opportunity, and that keeps our border safe and keeps our community safe. Now, I had a chance to work on that last bill that the Senate actually uh, worked on, Senate Bill 744. That was a, a bipartisan bill with four Democrats, four Republicans. Unfortunately, it was killed in the House by then Speaker John Boehner. And since then, we haven't been able to come together as, uh, as a country and unfortunately as a Congress. And so that's something I'm committed to doing. And as the second largest congressional border district in the country, it's something that we should be leading on. Now with my experience growing up on the other side of the border, but being born in this country and having parents that also worked uh, to benefit the national economy, although working on uh, nearshoring opportunities in the maquiladora industry in Ciudad Juarez, uh, I understand the complexities of not just the asylum seekers and the need to fund our immigration courts, but the opportunity to grow our international trade with our uh, partners in places like San Jerónimo and Ciudad Juárez and down in Santa Teresa. So the complexities of border and border um, policies are much more complex than what we're just seeing today. Uh, there's many layers that go underneath those, and that also includes foreign diplomacy, international aid, 
to foreign countries like Guatemala, like El Salvador, so that folks that are fleeing the violence there, that are fleeing uncertain economic uh, conditions, many of them climate refugees, that they have supports in their country so that they can feel safe and they can have jobs in their home country. But right off the bat, we have to keep our border community safe. And then secondly, we have to make sure that these asylum seekers who are coming here uh, in very large numbers have an opportunity at a fair shot in court as they do in this country that means more immigration judges and a more robust funded uh, immigration court system. Voters say crime is one of their top issues right now. You said in a 2020 interview, we need serious police reform <clears throat> in this country. It's not just about defunding the police, it's about defunding a system that privileges white people above everybody else. Do you support defunding the police? So 100% I do not support defunding the police. And in fact, when I was a city councilor four years in a row, I voted to increase the police budget. I worked directly with our police chief uh, as, as the co-chair of our public safety policy review committee in the city of Las Cruces to make sure that we were actually creating community policing programs that helped support public safety initiatives, uh, including the LCPD CARES program, which I helped start with the Las Cruces Police Department. So in addition to adding funding to our police department, yes, we also looked at different models of how we could comprehensively care, especially for those members of our community that had mental health issues or that had other, pro, uh, other uh, issues that increased their recidivism within our criminal justice system so that they wouldn't come back out on the streets and re recommit or reoffense um, in our community. So, uh, no, I do not support that. Uh, and in fact, that comment was about that people weren't protesting after the murder of George Floyd to defund the police. They were protesting to defund a system that has irreparably hurt people of color in this country for many years, including here in New Mexico. Now, that's one thing I'm very proud of is that as a public servant, as somebody who has stood by my community, is that I will be out there with folks. I have been out there with folks when injustices occur. That is what I think we need in a good leader. That is what I think we need in a good congressional representative, is somebody who's willing to stand with the people uh, when we need change in this country or in our communities, but then is actually willing to work across the aisle, and in my case, go to Congress to help fix some of these issues. Speaking about crime, uh, it's related to drugs often. We're experiencing an epidemic of fentanyl, and much of it brought across the border legally by U.S. citizens traveling legally. How do you stop that? Well, I think we need to look at first where these drugs are coming from, right? And I think it's through our legal ports of entry. The majority of drugs that are coming in from the El Paso port of entry, Santa Teresa port of entry, Palomas, Columbus port of entry, those, those are the facts. And so we need to make sure we have the technology to be able to detect the smuggling of fentanyl at our ports of entry. That means by both pedestrian and vehicle crossings. So when we talk about investing in border security, it's not about a wall, it's about agents and it's about technology and it's about people on the border who can protect uh, our communities by making sure these drugs don't get in in the first place. I would rather work directly with Customs and Border Protection and our law enforcement experts to make sure that we're catching the drugs where they're coming from. That's called smart border enforcement. And yes, you're right. These drugs, I mean, whether it was fentanyl or methamphetamines or heroin, have always wreaked havoc in our communities. But we have to make sure we tighten up our legal ports of entry where these drugs are being crossed. And for those, especially American citizens uh, who engage in this drug trafficking activity, there needs to be real consequences for them. Because what's at stake is the lives of our families, of our kids, people here in Albuquerque, I mean, people in Las Cruces, and it's unacceptable to me uh, that we give a slap on the wrist to somebody who would cause such harm to our community. So we need to look at those laws and work with our state legislators uh, to make sure we're addressing this issue adequately and protecting our families. 
guns are uh, a major issue in violent crime, and uh, we are struggling with this in mm -hmm. New Mexico. Do you believe that more gun control will reduce the problems that we're having with crime? Well, I don't want to refer to it as gun control. I think it's gun safety legislation. It's common sense gun safety legislation. Now I'll say I'm a firearm owner myself. Uh, right now in my garage, I have a gun safe uh, with several firearms that I use for hunting and for self-defense. That's the family I grew up in. That's how I grew up. Many New Mexicans grew up the same way. But I also grew up as a responsible gun owner and what to do and what not to do. Now, for me personally, um, I don't own semi-automatic firearms uh, that some folks say should be banned in this country uh, because I personally have no need for them. Um, I can kill a deer, I can kill an elk uh, with a rifle, and I can defend my home uh, with a handgun. And I think for many of us in New Mexico, that's how we grew up. And so it's not about controlling people's ability to have guns. It's about keeping our community safe. And that's why I call it gun safety legislation, because those folks that have mental health issues, those folks who have uh, domestic orders of protection against their spouses or against their girlfriends or other who, uh, who have committed domestic violence, uh, those folks who have proven uh, perhaps that they cannot handle a firearm for one reason or another, through expanded background checks, that is what the, the solutions that we need to start with in this country. And the truth is, is that we make this a divisive uh, uh, um, issue in this election, it's never gonna happen. My solution is to work with Republicans across the aisle to start working on those common sense gun safety reforms and be aggressive about it too. Don't get me wrong, I also don't wanna kick the can down the road. I think things need to get done in short order, but there are things we can do in short order and, and make sure we keep our, keep our community safe. So if an assault weapons ban came up for a vote while you were in Congress, would you vote for or against? Well, I think that's part of the issue is with this um, talk about an assault weapons ban, right, is that that is much more complicated uh, than just the three words. Um, assault weapon needs to be defined first and foremost, right? A ban needs to be defined first and foremost. So I'd need to look at legislation to see what that meant. However, I can tell you, I know a lot of folks in this state um, who have different opinions about this issue, and especially in my district, in those rural parts of my, of my district, I wouldn't make any decision as an elected representative without making sure I spoke with everybody, veterans, with hunters, uh, with legal firearm owners, and enthusiasts, and those kinds of folks. Um, so I would need to read the bill before I made a decision on that. Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham this year pledged $10 million to help build a new reproductive health care clinic in Dona Ana County. Uh, it, a clinic that will also provide abortions. What are your personal feelings about abortion? Oh, I just think that we have gone back in time to the dark ages in this country. Um, I think what the Supreme Court has done uh, is it's truly shameful. Um, and it's, let's face it, it's a Trump-appointed extreme Supreme Court that has told more than 50% of people in this country that they can no longer have autonomy over their own body and their own healthcare decisions. For me, I am a proud protector of women's healthcare. I'm somebody who believes in the freedom in this country and that big government shouldn't be in your bedroom or in your doctor's office or making decisions on your behalf about your healthcare decisions. Those need to be left up to a doctor and the person who is experiencing or has a, a potential childbirth, period. I mean, that's where we need to stay. Redistricting made your district much more competitive. You'll have to win over some Republicans in order to get elected to Congress. How would you persuade a conservative voter that a liberal like you should represent them in Congress? Well, first, I tell people uh, I am not a liberal. I'm a New Mexico Democrat. And there's a very strong brand of New Mexico Democrats who have worked across the aisle to get things done for their communities. And that includes in our rural communities. Um, so I've worked you know, for many years in places like Deming, where I have the endorsement of the Republican mayor of Deming, Mr. Benny Hasso, or Lordsburg, or Silver City, 
or Alamogordo where we just had 160 people show up in a room where we only expected 40 people to show up. And so I think what people are looking for is not partisanship in this election and in this race. They're looking for solutions and people who are willing to fight uh, for New Mexico and New Mexicans. And more importantly, people who don't have strings attached to them as people or to their campaigns. Now I tell people, look, I got a house, I have a dog. That's pretty much all I got. And I got a truck and I'm very proud of all three but I don't have any strings attached. I'm not doing this for any other reason other than to serve you, whether you're in Lemitar, whether you're in San Miguel, Chaparral, Las Cruces, or the South Valley of Albuquerque, I will treat you just the same. I will make sure that we bring home resources to your community because that's the job and that's the responsibility that it takes to run for Congress. Gabriel Vasquez, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you to all of the candidates who gave us their time to share their positions with all of you. And of course, thank you to Gwyneth Dolan, Antonia Gonzalez, and Anthony Moreno for their work in our series of candidate conversations. You can watch all of them online right now on the New Mexico in Focus YouTube page. Don't forget, Election Day is tomorrow, Tuesday, November 8th, and if you haven't voted already, make sure you do. If you aren't registered, you can do that same day too, so no excuses. Make sure to watch our live election night coverage starting at 8 o'clock on Channel 5.4. Gene Grant will be keeping an eye on results while talking to four of our longtime political contributors. Former New Mexico State Senators Dee Dee Feldman and Diane Snyder, former New Mexico State Representative Dan Foley, and political psychologist and author Martha Burke will all be there. Gene's also going to sit down with Gwyneth Dolan and Antonia Gonzalez to talk about what they gleaned from our candidate conversations during their interviews. And Gene will end the night checking in on results with a roundtable of reporters covering specific races around New Mexico. It all starts at 8 o'clock on Channel 5.4 and streaming on our New Mexico in Focus and YouTube pages. Now just get out and vote.